find other great podcasts like this one at podmoth.network. I'm Shelby, host of Addicted to Crime podcast. Join us for deep, chilling dives into the evil nature of criminals, and let's take a closer look at their early life and background to see how they got to the day of the crime. This podcast was created in hopes you pay closer attention to your surroundings and hopefully stay safe. You can find us anywhere you get your podcasts or else on the website www.addictedtocrime.org. Happy listening, thanks for your time, and stay safe. Welcome to Cruelty Podcast. This is Lillian, and with me, as always, is Willow. Hello. Hi. Hi. We voted. We did vote today. It was a weird time. It's very strange because we live in the Bible Belt, and um, we live in a weird hole in the Bible Belt, where there's hippies and, and the gays, and <laughs> um, but around the edge of it is where we live, and so there's we live right outside of it. There's, there's, there's a lot of... Yeah. And we walked out looking yeah. the way we do. And <laughs> one guy was like, liked our I presence. voted for all Republicans. And I just went, ew. <laughs> yeah. We were like, haha, we canceled your vote. <laughs> so my parents said, he's like, well, there's three of you and there's three of us, so we canceled each other out. <laughs> Very funny. Well, I mean, technically, it was We did our job then. We did our job. For him to, like... Talk about that right outside. You're not supposed no. to. Yeah. But you know what? He can just smoke dicks in hell. I just don't care. <laughs> but anyway, I hope you voted. Out there. all the yeah. good it'll do. Yeah. Yeah. At least the Americans out there. I don't all know. Right. I don't know how other countries work or when your voting systems go on. Do but... you have a queen? <laughs> <laughs> you don't vote for a queen, I hear. <laughs> Oops. Could we get a vote for me for queen? No, let's not. I don't need that added to my ego. So, again, we're continuing with our House of Horrors theme. And usually, as you guys know, we pick cases we're not familiar with to tell the other person the case. Mm-hmm. So it's fun. But we both know this case. Oh, yeah. We were there whenever would, it I don't, came I out. I think everyone knows this case, but it's so yeah. interesting. Well, a lot of people know of it because of the Vice documentary that came out. It was a very good documentary, um, by the way. And a lot of people may have just like seen his picture around, so they're like, oh yeah, that guy. I know that guy. But there was a lot of details about this case that even... I like going back and rewatching the Vice documentary that I didn't really realize. So um, it's easy to miss these little details. And as yeah. a person who's an occult fan, um, <laughs> the name was funny to me. Yes, because yes. I'm aware of this particular entity. Yeah, <laughs> I'm actually friends with the woman who played the demon in The Exorcist, the original really? movie. Eileen Dietz. Okay. And so, um, or it's Ellen Dietz. Um, you know, when it flashes to the scary demon face? Yeah. That's her. Huh. Pazuzu. Huh. If you hadn't yeah. read the title. You read the no title. title. <laughs> no. 
Uh, yeah. So, yeah. Uh, Pazuzu House. House of Horrors. Uh, the Clemens House of Horrors, because it was in Clemens, North Carolina. Yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, if you don't already know this case, if you haven't seen the documentary, um, obviously, like, big trigger warnings, um, if you don't know. <laughs> okay. So, like I've said previously, in the House of Horrors cases, we have everything from... You know, sexual assault, child abuse, child mm-hmm. sexual assault. Mm-hmm. This actually doesn't have any children involved, um, Which luckily. Which is nice. Yeah. Which is nice for a change. Um, but it's got everything else. Yeah, yeah. I was actually, I, in the process of this, I was, like, realizing, like, oh, yeah, I had this on the list for um, Cannibal Month, Vampire Month. Yes. Um, we were also on my list for those two. We're also eventually going to do a satanic panic month. And so that was, this was on the list for that as well. Really checks off a lot of boxes. Lots of boxes. It's a cult as well. So there's that. Um, but I, it actually was the inspiration behind house of horrors month because I was going to cover this case as a Patreon case. And I was like, you know what? This case was a house of horrors. I've heard so many. I have so many saved cases under the term House of Horrors. Let's just do a month about it. So that's what we did. This was the inspiration. Thank you. Ew, gross. Pazuzu. It's, y'all, this is rough. So if you're, like, eating or something, maybe don't. Don't. I don't don't linger in any of the gruesome details, but there's gruesome details no matter what. You You should follow me on Pinterest because I have a whole section dedicated to cute, fluffy, cute, fuzzy little animals. Yeah, look at the cute animals while we talk about this. Yes, it's nice. Yeah, it's pretty rough. Um, And also, the Vice documentary, I know a lot of people will probably hear this episode and then go back and watch it. Trigger warning on the Vice documentary that I didn't really think about it until now uh, that I'm older. Looking back, just if you have any type of issues with drug use or um, addictions of any kind like that, there's heavy drug use on camera in yes. that documentary. Yes, it was I actually pretty triggering to me, and I don't even—I've never even used like that before. Uh, uh, I had a friend tell me who has um, is in recovery. Yeah. say that they had to stop watching yeah. for that reason. Yeah. So please be aware of it. If you are in recovery years. I've had too many friends die in the past couple years of. Of, of drug use. So take caution. Don't watch it if it's going to do Especially anything. Especially from a bad place. Yeah. So. And we don't linger on any type of drug use in this episode. So that's going to be it's gonna pretty be much shit. the end of my mention. Yeah. But it is really heavily viewed in the docu- docu-series. Yes. So just watch out for that. Um, but either way, so we're going to be talking about the Pazuzu house today. He is an incredibly interesting character, I guess I will say that. He was actually born, instead of Pazuzu, uh, John Alexander Lawson, August 12th, 1978, in San Francisco. Two parents, Tim and Cynthia Lawson, they were apparently married, but there are so many mixed reports on his upbringing as far as like his relationship with his father, because on... His even his psyche vows and a lot of his court records, it says that he never met his father. But a lot of other sources will say that he lived with his father on and off until he was 12. So I don't believe that later one, but I don't know how much of his father he saw in his life. Let's just say that. So, And I don't believe that his mother's particularly forthcoming. Oh, no, no, no. Oh, no, no, no. We'll get to his mother. But his mother, Cynthia Lawson, we will be talking quite a bit about in this episode. Um, but all accounts other than that, like as far as his relationship with his mother growing up, 
it seemed pretty picture perfect on the outside, at least to a certain degree. Um, he played sports. He was one of those like all American boys, quote unquote, with the blonde hair, blue eyes, playing baseball and, and uh, football and stuff like that. Um, but at one point or another, he got really into occult horror films like Jason and Freddy, and he really got into vampires and he started wearing capes and wearing fangs. And at first it was very playful, just like any kid. Right. But after a while, it was noted that his mother just kind of quit paying attention to him. And that kind of seems like the theme of Pazuzu's life is that mommy isn't paying attention to me. And I, and, and that just seems like the target of all of his actions is to get attention from his mother. And it, it snowballs into a really disgusting narrative. Yeah. It's really rough. It's really rough. Um, I, do, I do wonder, and I looked this up before you started, so I yeah. can ask you and have the answer in case you didn't know. Yeah. If Vampire the Masquerade strikes again, the role-playing game, <laughs> I couldn't find any information, uh, only that he was just a vampire enthusiast, but I would bet a bajillion dollars that he was into that. Right. Oh, yeah. Yeah, probably. Yeah. Probably. But yeah, so he lived in California for at least, I think, two years. Like, they moved whenever he was very young from California. And then they lived, um, they bounced around a little bit. They lived in um, a bunch of different towns, and then they moved to Clemens, which is a suburb of Winston-Salem, North Carolina. Cynthia then remarried a man named Johnny James, and Pazuzu fucking hated this guy. Like, really, really hated this guy. So much that he made them end their marriage, pretty much. It was kind of like one of those, it's either you or me kind of deals. And since he was a teenager, his mother picked him. Yikes. Yeah. And it seems like there was a lot of issues with attention growing up. One of his neighbors that was actually Cynthia's best friend. They were next door neighbors and best friends. Um, her name was Carmen. She used to babysit him a lot growing up and actually her son was right around his age and they became best friends as well. So it was very natural that he would just come over and play and she would watch him and the two boys would play. She watched him from the ages five to nine. And in that time period, it just progressively got worse. He would show up at her house unannounced like at six o'clock in the morning Mm -mm. as a young child and stay for days and days on end. Because his mother just wasn't home. That's weird. Because she was out drinking. She was out, you know, doing things that she probably won't even admit to doing. Oh, she definitely won't admit to. Um, But, yeah. It was just constant attention-seeking behavior. He would come over to Carmen's house, and they would watch all these scary movies. And she was like, okay, this is normal but at a strange level like this boy is very sweet but he is very weird (laughs) you know and you know growing up that's how he was but it just kind of spiraled um Carmen said that he started out as a nice kid but eventually Pazuzu started to to take it out on his mother he eventually got violent towards his mother and they actually had to, at the age of eight, they had to put him in a mental hospital, like in, in care patient, because he had hurt his mother so badly 
by the age of eight. It's really pitiful. It's very, very sad. Carmen went with Cynthia to go see little Pazuzu in the hospital, and she said it was very sad to see him there because it wasn't him that should have been in there. It was Cynthia. I agree with that. Mm-hmm. And it takes a lot for someone to say that about their best friend. You know what I mean? Like, I obviously could never imagine saying that about you because you're just really wonderful. But um, <laughs> you, you know what I mean, though? You know what I mean? Like, yeah. for, for someone to, like, really say this, that. Though. If I thought that you were that bad of a fucking mom. Yeah. I'd kick your ass. Yeah, you would. Yeah, yeah you would. I yeah, don't tolerate would. child neglect. <laughs> no, not at all. Not at all. Um, a real friend kicks your ass. <laughs> Just saying. Elise sits you down, and you sit me down anytime. You don't have any problems coming to me with stuff. Love conversation. Love that. It's absolutely my favorite. <laughs> well, I love it when people put well, me hey, in my place. <laughs> no, it's not about that. It's like when you really love somebody and you care about mm-hmm. somebody, and they're fucking themselves up. That's in right. any way, that's right. Then you tell them mm-hmm. it's like letting your friend walk out with like a stain on their bum. We don't yeah. do that, y'all. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's love, right? I just think though, in this particular case, something should have been done. And I hate pointing f- fingers because then it places blame when yes. I'm I'm not the judge in this. Well, case. the thing is, is there's got to be a separation point between the sins of the parent and then the child. Mm-hmm. You can't, you have to break the cycle of abuse yourself if you're able. And maybe he wasn't. Right. That's all I'm saying. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Because by the age of 13, he was drinking daily. He had abused his mother by the age of eight. And by the age of 13, he was drinking daily, like, like 12 packs of beer that his mother most of the time provided. Well, see that I mm-hmm. wonder and see what you think about this. If there isn't some kind of emotional incest going on between. Okay. Yeah. I know what you're talking about, but explain to the okay. listeners what you mean by that. Emotional incest is not like actual physical incest. It's not romantic. It is, or, it's not romantic. No. Well, it's usually... It's not sexual. It's not sexual, although it can turn that way. But it's where a parent, typically the mother in this case, will replace a husband or a Mm -hmm. romantic partner with their child. Like an emotional dependency. It's an emotional codependency, Mm -hmm. and it creates a lot of inappropriate boundary violations, like buying your kids cigarettes and alcohol. Yes. Um, Yes. Being too in their business. Mm -hmm. Um, Or allowing them to do too much. Allowing them to do adult things when they're clearly not a fucking adult. 13 years old. Yeah. And we don't know how much prior to that. We just know that he was drinking every day by the age of 13. It sounds like emotional incest to me. Mm-hmm. So, and that's what my mother did to me. Yeah. 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 It's totally inappropriate with me my entire life. Mm-hmm. And it will fuck you up, y'all, for yeah. sure. And um, I know he had other issues. And it usually comes from bro- broken people who have, mm-hmm. you know, issues of one way or the other, but they give birth to a child or they have a child. Um, and then they realize that this child is a forever friend. That's exactly what my mom. You know what I mean. So they use that as an emotional or a relationship crutch, Uh basically placeholder filler, to say, "Well, you'll never leave me." Best friend of romantic partner, Mm -hmm. everything, Mm -hmm. and it Mm -hmm. was a lot of pressure, and it was very uncomfortable, and it fucked me up. Thanks. But yeah, back to Pazuzu. I do, I do definitely think, I definitely see what you're talking about there, Um, because he immediately after 13, he started drinking every day. 
by the time he was in ninth grade, he actually dropped out of school. And he had repeated several grades by then as well. And, you know, dropped out of all the sports, dropped out of everything, just strictly stayed home after that. And his retreating into his home, basically, he took over the house. By the time he had, like, stopped going to school and ended up spending all of his time at home, that's when he took over the house. The house became his. He, oh, he was the man of the house. He was the man of the house. And, you know, if he's hitting on his mama at age eight, we don't know what's going on behind the scenes. We don't, know, we don't know how violent he is towards his mother. And because especially with like later diagnosis and later charges, we really don't know what's going on behind the scenes. No. We don't know what he's done or what he said. And isn't that kind of the theme of this month? Mm-hmm. That's a big theme. There's a facade that we just and really we don't, don't know. fucking know because everything is hidden inside the house. That's why, like, a lot of houses, if you believe in it, like, that's why a lot of houses get haunted. For it's because, like, sure. so much shit goes on in a house and it can be hidden and it's it can be violent and it can be, tr- yeah. Yeah. All that and nobody will know. Shit. Yeah, exactly. It's terrifying. It's terrifying. And I think that that adds to the level of a lot of these stories that we cover this month. It's just that... that, that it's a very claustrophobic month for it me. It is, isn't it? Yes. Yeah. yeah. I've been like, I yeah. need to get out this house. Because yeah. the violence isn't out in the open. It's, no. Yeah. And under, undercover. Because we mm-hmm. always think of home as a refuge. Right. But right. what if home is where you got to escape from? Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And he, yeah, he basically got free reign. His mother basically said that, you know, as long as you don't enter my room, because she had her own private bathroom. So as long as none of his stuff came into her room. Exactly. And and I have linked the body cam footage of the final walkthrough of the house. It is rough. So, yeah, one of the neighbors who had graduated in 1996 said that when she left, Cynthia had kept the house very beautiful, very pristine, that it was one of those places that was so impeccably clean. The carpets were shampooed. You had to, like, take off your shoes when you entered. Mm -hmm. That kind of pristine cleanliness in 1996 and then when she came back home because she moved away from for college after she graduated when she came back to North Carolina in 2010 the house was completely condemnable yeah it had completely rotted in that time period and it was all because of Pazuzu oh yeah obviously Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and y'all when we say disgusting I'll get into it a little bit I'm not going to get into it too much but I'll say what I need to you you can understand it, but yeah, it, uh, it said that this is the beginning of when he started quote, hanging out with the wrong people. That's what a lot of, especially his mother likes to say that, uh, growing up, he was always a smaller kid. And so a lot of people would actually make fun of him in school and things like that. He was bullied a lot. And so it kind of pushed him into the outcast category. And so as soon as he got out of school, he kind of became like the king of misfits, so to speak. Yeah. But it was, it was a free for all. It, it was literally a free for all. Um, and sometimes I wonder if he wasn't the bad crowd. The oh, other kids were hanging out with. Exactly. You know what I mean? He was like the magnet to. Yeah. 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 So from an early age, yeah, he kind of just like snowballed. He progressively started acting out and acting out. Eventually he started uh, getting like scratcher tattoos all over his body. His scratcher tattoos are 
really, really bad, really rough. He matted his hair into really grimy dreadlocks. They were basically just clumps at that point. And he didn't shower. He, of course, began worshiping Satan. (laughs) Um, There's no actual evidence of that at all there's like he did his own little rituals and all this but I just think it's a whole bunch of talk and not actual belief I think he's just trying to shock everybody the the amount I, I wish people would understand this the amount of actual Luciferian Satanist is quite small yes because it's silly yes I said it I don't care um, and when, when I say Luciferian Satanist, if you haven't listened to this podcast before and never heard this term, it is someone who actually worships the devil, believes mm-hmm. the devil's a real entity, and worships it as their god. Yeah. Uh, most Satanists are Levian Satanists, which mm-hmm. means... He, he was. See, and a Levian yeah. Satanist does not believe in the devil, yeah. but instead believes in the kind of divinity of the self. Right. Just want to make that That's clear. what I thought so too, but he kept bringing up LeVay and all of his shit. And I just, I think it's just for shock. Well, Everything that he says is just for shock. And I mean, I do think that he, there was a part of him that did believe in demons and demonic things. Obviously you can tell by his actions later on that he, he, he at least talks about it to everybody around him that yeah. demons, like he has to feed his demons and all of this. Um, but I think it's, I think it's one of those things where he used it for shock value and then tricked his mind into believing or psychosomatic. Yeah. 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 But yeah, it became known around the circles of drug users, vagrants and criminals in the area that Pazuzu's house was one of the places that you could literally do anything. Booze, sex, violence. It was all there. Death metal was playing at piercing volume 24 seven. You can hear it down the street. Uh, Sounds the sounds and smells alone are so disorienting. I was fixing to say, it just sounds like stimulation hell. Yeah, just because, like, the smell, when you come up to the property, you can smell it even before you, like, enter yeah. the threshold. And it's smell of putrefaction, it's smell of vomit, it's smell of urine. Like, the ammonia just kind of is like a haze around the house. Uh, obviously, this is a gradual process. I'm talking more of the end of it. But still, it's it's just filth and rot like he he let people just take shits in like not even just in the corner but anywhere you could take a shit on the couch at Pazuzu's house Pazuzu himself would urinate all over the walls and shit like that because honestly it was a lot easier than going to the bathroom because the bathroom the hallway to the bathroom was so littered with trash like at least a foot high off the ground that you you couldn't even walk down the hallway and that's the thing is that his mother's room was in that hallway. There were rooms past his mother's room. His mother's room was like kind of in the middle of the hallway, right, right around How the general. She had to walk through all of that. A woman that used to have, you know, pristinely shampooed carpets. She pays all the bills on this house. She keeps it all running. She still goes to work. She still pays for his booze, his cigarettes, you know, his, his food, his, I'm assuming his drugs, you know. Well, I don't um, know where, he didn't have a job, y'all. Right, but everybody in the in the whole house was using, so I'm sure he, you know, being the provider of the party, you tend to get free bits, so, you know, who knows, but still, that's the point, is that she is just a, a master enabler at this point. For sure. So it's just, it's just really gross. Also, 
not just was she providing everything like food, housing, tobacco, alcohol, but she was also providing the animal sacrifices for his monthly full moon rituals. She would go to Petco, buy rabbits every month. This bitch. Later on in an interview, she said that she was fearful that he would kill himself if he wasn't able to do the full moon sacrifices, that he would just sacrifice himself to Satan. So she had to buy these rabbits in order to save her son. Why would she buy a clue? There was a dead cat hanging in the front in the tree in their front yard for years. Ugh, keep going. Let's she go walked on. by that de- that dead cat every single day. Whatever. I hate this Just woman. disgusting. Yeah, later on in an interview, she like she still to this day calls him her little warrior, which makes me gag a bit. Ugh. And I just think it's just really strange that she just allowed him to walk all over her, destroy her house, all of these things, and... Like, why? How, how? She, like, still to this day has, like, a full wall of all of Pazuzu's pictures growing up. And it's so interesting to see, like, this little kid with, like, bright blue eyes and, like, a cute little smile and, like, you know, football outfits and things like that, normal childhood photos next to this, oh, this monster that he becomes at the end. He literally turns himself into a monster, and she's just so proud of him. She's so proud of him. He legally changed his name to Pazuzu Ila Algarad um, as soon as he turned 18. So basically as soon as he could, I assume that he was going by this name years prior. And after 9-11, he told everybody that he was a jihadist and started wearing a little head wrap on his head. He said that he had made up this religion that was basically his own his own religion that was like a morph of like Christianity uh, Satanism and jihadist but he, him and his quote fiancés he had a whole harem uh, they were the only ones that actually practiced this religion and there's no text there's nothing to back it up it's just it's something just he said yeah. to scare people because he lived in the Bible Belt and they were scared of Muslims at the time so that's what he picked you know it's, yeah, it's like clear just shock values yes. stuff from the death metal to Satanism yes yes to absolutely his to his he name. told everybody that he wanted to be a Charles Manson and start his own uh, satanic sex cult where they would kill things and fuck about it and smear blood all over themselves and do question. drugs about it and Why? like just be filthy I have a question <laughs> Why can't we ever make a fun Satan-y sex cult where everyone takes a bath? Yeah, and, and it's all consensual. Like, yeah, and everybody's like, yeah. you fuck in the name of Satan? They're like, absolutely, <laughs> it's what I'm here for. <laughs> also, I replaced the toilet paper, and I took out the trash. And I'd be like, well, thanks, that's how we keep a clean house around here. <laughs> I made cookies. Nope, it's always just like, I'm going to shit on the floor. Yep. And then yep. that's going to put me in the mood, said no one ever. It, I just don't see... That's what most of the, the people that cover this case... That's what most people say is, like, how can you find the, the will to flow. get it up when you're, A, high on heroin and covered Lord. in filth and shit and vomit and... Putrescence in general. Yes, there's dead animals in cages all around, like... Yeah, there's, there's, it's look, bad. Look, I'll, it's I'll bad, be the bad. first to admit that I'm amorous, 
frequently all the time, but things got to be right. Like, I have to have a bath and, you know, all that good stuff. So I don't understand how, like, these people can... He didn't... Ba- he said that bathing... That not bathing uh, gave him powers. That his filth gave him powers. Like, demonic powers. Okay. Yeah. So the house itself became an addiction I at this point. That. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, with the... Because the, the, the self-serving attitude, the need for attention, it really became apparent when he became, like, governor of this, like, satanic sex cult, right? So inside the House of Horrors, he was God or a demon or whatever he wanted to be. I don't know uh, the equivalent of. But whenever he stepped foot outside into the world, he was scum. He was trash. He was disgusting. Nobody wanted to be around him. Nobody gave him attention. Nobody fucking cared. It's scary. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So, yeah, he ended up uh, developing anxiety about leaving the house. He finally went in for a mental health assessment in 2004 at the age of 26, and he was diagnosed with agoraphobia and schizophrenia and schizotypal personality, as well as, uh, obviously, alcoholism. He... Went to treatment for about a month before returning and giving up on his medication because it, quote, made him feel like a zombie, which, yeah, yeah, it does. Yeah, it does. And if you have struggled with your medication treating you like a zombie, I understand. Just try to keep up with treatment somehow, some way. Well, at the very least, talk to your doctor before you get off of it. Yeah. Um, don't do what he did and instead get high on meth and dremel your teeth into sharp points so that way you can tear into flesh better. Don't do that. Yeah, it's ill-advised. Ill yeah, he also apparently split his tongue, but I couldn't find any photos of his split tongue. Um, I don't know if that's just a media thing or if he actually did it, but I know that he at least tried to dremel his teeth. I don't know exactly how sharp they got, and I know that at least one of his fiancés, if not more, joined in on this meth-fueled dremel dental party. <laughs> yeah, his autopsy also stated that he had intentional inverted cross scar on his forehead and a Cheshire grin scar from his the corners of his mouth creating a smile and then he had tattooed over it. I thought that was very interesting little body modification that he decided to do. He also had an array of burn marks all over his face, like self-inflicted. A lot of his friends would just like take cigarette butts and put them out on themselves. I've had friends do that at parties and I thought it was weird, but his friends were like really into it. Uh, For some reason, somehow, some way women were still attracted to him after all of this. And it was his harem was growing quite frequently. He called them all fiancés, and I thought that that was very strange, that one ended up becoming his quote-unquote wife. They never actually married, but he just called everybody fiancés. And I thought that was very uh, manipulative, almost, like keeping them on a string. You know, you're, you're in arm's reach, but I don't know. It just seems weird. At least... One of the female followers that that filed her teeth down, they began doing blood play and blood sacrifices with each other um, and 
making videos and all kinds of things. But it turned into like bloodbath orgies pretty quickly. And of course, the um, the sacrifices had to grow, right? As as most of these stories go they grow from you know cats and surrounding animals rabbits that your mom buys from petco each other you know uh and and of course they escalate into murder a local preacher's daughter sylvia lebeau met pazuzu in fall of 2009 when she was dropping off her friend amber aka bubbles who was one of his fiancés she was like the main one. When Sylvia approached the door, she could hear the death metal blaring from the curb. The house was gross, even from the outside, with graffiti and grime. The front door was covered in writing and shitty Halloween decorations. It's really bad. I'll post a photo. Um, but there was a quote. Uh, there's a quote in Arabic. There's like uh, like some stickers and shit all over. One sticker says, evil will triumph. And it's just so edgy. <laughs> So there's this handwritten note on the wall and I just wanted to read it because it's so, it sounds so crazy and so deranged. It's in all caps and it says, no gang members allowed. Anyone that dress the same has the same badge and calls themselves the authority of the land they did not create. They only seized through terrorism has no permission to enter this land unless you are a native since this is their land since this is the first amendment of our fake laws for we see you are guilty until proven innocent if you claim if or, sorry if you can make laws so can we so be it and then it's just a bunch of scribble of like people's signatures and it's it's all one run in run yeah. run on sentence yeah. um it's really haphazard and very confusing and it sounds like it's trying to be so aggressive but it sounds so dumb <laughs> like it sounds like they're trying to use big fancy words to say like no fuck cops the police. <laughs> yeah, I know. I know. But you're like, but if you're native, that's okay. <laughs> like, okay. <laughs> like you're so tough. Um, but yeah, she saw this whenever she came up to the door, and she said that she knew that by just approaching this door that something was wrong. She didn't want to come in, but Amber insisted that she come in and meet her new boyfriend, Pazuzu. <laughs> So she Girl, did. this is where I'd sit you down and say, mm-mm. mm-mm. It, it smelled like booty hole coming outside that door. Mm-mm. Um, but yeah, she definitely didn't want to be there. At first, when she very first met Pazuzu, Pazuzu told her that he was, quote, the gatekeeper of hell. He's like, hi, I'm the gatekeeper of hell. Pleased to meet you. Yeah. <laughs> I could tell. That's where I am. Uh, Pazuzu and Bubbles told Sylvia that they wanted her to watch this, quote, unquote, home video that they had made. Oh, that's a big no for me. The preacher's daughter doesn't understand what's going on, and she well, ends up watching a sex tape. Yeah. Uh, and, of course, she had no idea what what she was getting into. She was obviously completely disgusted by this as anyone would be. The video starts out with bubbles and Pazuzu like sexy dancing and then like naked or something. And there's a shot where like it pans to her like doing some stuff to herself. And then there's a shot where Pazuzu enters the the frame and he has a big knife and a bloody bandana on his head. Like you can see the blood on the bandana. It's kind of dripping down. And that blood was of his 
most previous sacrifice, his first human sacrifice. Well, allegedly. Pazuzu had lured a lured a man named Josh Wetzler into his cult following, and it did not end up good for him. Josh was an honest man on hard times. He didn't normally hang out with the type of people that hung out with Pazuzu. He and his child's mother had really big dreams of marriage, of starting a horse farm together, taking care of animals, and being a dad were two of his biggest passions in life. But when the housing market crashed in 2008, they lost their ranch. Josh ended up buying mushrooms online to sell. And it was one of those websites online that everybody used and everybody got caught. And, yeah, yeah he got busted. And that little drug charge and jail sentence that he had to go to, um, it basically ruined his reputation in their small town. Because they lived in a town outside of Clemens. And so it made it like pretty much impossible for him to get work other than selling drugs, you know, like he really got himself into a pickle here. He's not even like a big drug user, right? He was just selling mushrooms on the side. It's not like he used hard drugs, but his ex, uh, the mother of his child, she was like, well, I can't have this with a baby in the house. Like "Mm -mm, I gotta, I gotta draw the line here. So she still loved him. She still cared about him, but she was like, we got to break up if this is what's going on. Like you got to go get your, yeah. So you got to go get your shit together. And then, you know, she really cared about him and she, Stacy Carter is her name and she is a huge part of this case. Um, but yeah, uh, for a while, she didn't hear from him, and then a couple days turned into a couple weeks, turned into a couple months, and she just one day just never heard from him, and it just went silent. And she knew that that's something that he wouldn't do. Like she knew that he was kind of in a bad place, but she knew he wouldn't just abandon his child like that. So through selling drugs, Josh had met Pazuzu, and being homeless at the time, Pazuzu had free reign. Yeah. yeah, he ended up actually staying at Pazuzu's house for an extended period of time. I think it was a few months, but he became a roommate. And Cynthia, Pazuzu's mother, even remembers him cooking for them a few times. Like he cooked their family meals and things. And he was a very nice guy because he was a very nice guy. He was a nice man. And honestly, the kitchen didn't look nearly as bad as the rest of the house because most people weren't in the kitchen. That's true. Although he did keep his firearms in the dishwasher. I found that strange. That is a bit weird. But yeah, basically he, Josh being a really nice guy, he was very susceptible to Pazuzu and Pazuzu just thought he was the perfect specimen, you know, for a ritual. And so he trapped Josh in the basement for fun and starved him for days. He's a very sweet man. And after days and days on end of starving him, uh, one of Pazuzu's friends had come over. His name's Crazy Dave. And he said that Pazuzu told him that if someone, that he had someone locked in the basement and Crazy Dave was like, oh, Okay, sure you do, buddy. Uh, because Gosh, he, he talked Dave really high. Believe you. <laughs> but he talked so high of himself. Pazuzu said all kinds of things. He told stories about how he had killed a bunch of um, sex workers and eaten their flesh and discarded of their body. And nobody believed that story. And so, which I don't know. I, at this point, I, I believe him, you know? Yeah. But, yeah, he was like, his, his friend... 
um, Pazuzu was like, hey, if anyone comes out of the basement, you know, don't let them leave, okay? And Crazy Dave was like, yeah, sure, okay, if... You know, if anybody comes out of the basement, I'll let you know, buddy. You know, he didn't believe that anybody was in there because nobody made a sound. Nobody tried to come out of the basement. He never heard anything, so he just thought that he was just blowing smoke out of his ass. But one day, while Cynthia was getting ready to go to work, she heard a few gunshots from her living room. And when she came out, she found her son, Pazuzu, with a gun standing over Josh's body. She was in shock. She froze, and she turned around and finished getting ready for work. <sighs> That's it. That's all she did. I'm saying for that alone, she should have gone to jail. Oh, I'm so my blood boils at this woman because this is not the only time she does this. Oh, no. She, yeah, she just gets ready. She leaves. She goes to work. And as she's leaving out the door, uh, Pazuzu yells at his mother, like, okay, well, I guess I'll just finish him off. And she just walks out, like, okay, fuck you. You know, like, it's your trash. Anyway, off to make the donuts, I guess. (sighs) She literally did nothing, and she had no remorse over this at all. It's just insane. That's somebody that cooked for you. You know that man is a father. And you're a You know that man is a nice person. Mm Mm-hmm. So, yeah, then um, Pazuzu called up his girlfriend, who was actually in South Carolina at the time, and together they dismembered him. They cut off his extremities, his arms, his legs, his head, his penis, and they kept him in the basement for a while. Ugh. For a while. Um... Yeah, and and, and on, reportedly on like a, ba- a bed of like kitty litter and bleach. So eventually they ended up mummifying him. The smell of the dead body would hit you so hard whenever you walked in the house that many people remarked about the smell. Many people said, whoa, what the fuck is that? When they walked in the, his house and he's like, oh, that's just the dead body in my basement. And they're like, oh, good one. I I lost count of how many people he's like reported that he said this and did nothing. When his mom found out that they had buried the body in the basement, she just shrugged and was like, kids will be kids. And that's just kind of the thing. No, bitch. That's crazy. Dave told vice that Pazuzu used to tell him all kinds of stories about the homeless people that he killed, the sex workers that he killed, how he'd use their blood for sacrifice, how he'd eat them, all kinds of things. And he just, you know, kind of just shrugged it off. Like I wouldn't be surprised if he did all those things. I wouldn't either. I really do believe it because he would, he would say a lot like Ramirez where he would say that the devil gave him powers from doing all these things Mm -hmm. and that the devil would keep him from disease. That was a big one. He, he thought that eating raw, raw flesh would not only give him powers, but he was guarded from any diseases that he would possibly get from eating raw meat. And I just find that insane. So one day, Pazuzu took a huge knife that was basically a sword and pointed it at Crazy Dave and told him that he had done something. He didn't say what. He was just like, I've done something and I need your help digging a hole. He didn't say what he was going to do with that hole. He didn't say anything, but he just said, if you don't dig this hole, I'm going to fucking kill you. So Crazy Dave dug the hole. 
And that's it. Crazy Dave didn't see anything after that. He really tried to implement as many people. Notice he called his girlfriend. He got Dave to dig the hole. He's trying to get them. He tries to implement as many people as possible. So they'd all be blamed too. And they're all part of it. That makes sense. Mm -hmm. They're less likely to turn him in then. Right. Exactly. Because, yeah. They're all accessories. So, Tarina Billings is another one of Pazuzu's neighbors who was actually the first person to finally go to the police. Not like it matters, but she had met Pazuzu in person while hosting a little house party up the road where her friend Crystal, who was one of Pazuzu's fiancés, had brought him and his other fiancé Bubbles over. And while they were all drinking, everybody was having a good time, Pazuzu came up to this group of people and he... Needed attention, I suppose, because he walked up to this group of people and with Tarina in it and started bragging about how he shot this guy six times and now his dead body is in the basement. Just told everybody at the party, like, ah, look at me go. And <laughs> he even told everybody that, like, okay, here's how I'm getting away with it. I covered his body with kitty litter and bleach so he can't smell anything. It's like, well, you can. Uh, uh, but Pizzo, you've got nose blind. Yes, yes. But everybody just thought he was drunk and crazy and nobody took him seriously. But Tarina's father, who was actually dating Crystal, which is, it was a bit of an age gap, but we'll get through that. Uh, Crystal was one of... The fiance is one of the harem in Pazuzu's household. One day after the day after the party, her dad had left with Crystal wearing cutoff jeans and a t-shirt, and he came back with Crystal and Pazuzu's mother, Cynthia, a few hours later, and he was completely covered with dirt, sweaty, he was gross, he was missing his t-shirt, and he was like heavy breathing, like he had just gone through some shit. And he came back with his girlfriend and Cynthia. I don't know what they were doing at the house, but they just came back to like grab some things, I guess. And then they were going to go back to Pazuzu's. And he gave no explanation of what was going on. None whatsoever. Mm. Tarina was just kind of in shock, and she was like, okay, that's weird. He rushed out of the house. So Tarina, being curious, followed him followed him to Pazuzu's house and when she pulled up to the curb her father saw her and ran across the yard and was like you better get the fuck out of here right now before anybody sees you mm-hmm. and she did she got the fuck out of there but she wasn't really able to get any word out of her father as far as like what all that weird shit was she just knew that there was some weird shit going on but his father did, or her father did end up spilling all the beans to his girlfriend, Crystal. So Crystal knew what had happened, and Crystal told her best friend, Tarina. Yep. So it's a lot of, you know, because this is a small town, small friend group, but anyways, long story short, Tarina found out that Pazuzu made her father dig the grave of this man, and or else he was going to kill him, just like he had done with Crazy Dave. And so she was like... Okay, I gotta go to the cops with this story. Like, I yeah. have to. She she I'm started surprised thinking, nobody did sooner. Right. Well, it's really hard to have a, a a big conscience when you have a drug addiction and money involved with the case. You know what I mean? Yeah. Because a lot of these people that were involved just had drug addictions. Yes. And this was a safe place to use drugs. So that is really where a lot of the the ties into the crimes go. Yeah, I agree with that. Um, but yeah. She was basically like, that's 
the, the person that they killed is somebody's relative. Like somebody out there somebody is missing their relative and I can't handle that. So on August 3rd of 2009, Torino went to the Forsyth County Sheriff's office. She met with a detective at a park, which I find very common in a lot of these cases that mm-hmm. people go meet detectives at parks. Have you noticed that? Meet at a library. At least it's inside. <sighs> I don't know. Anyway, it's just weird to me. So she told him all of the people that she knew. She went down the list of all the people that hung out at that house. Crystal Matlock, her father, how they had helped with digging the the, the grave for the body. She didn't know Pazuzu's name, and she called him the caveman. <laughs> I just thought that was really funny. Um, But she described the house. She described how to get there and where he lived. She described everything to police. So the police show up at the house and just straight up told him that there was a report that there was a murder and that there was bodies buried in the backyard. And they asked him if this was true. And he was like, no. They're like, can I search your house? And he was like, no. And they're like, all right. Peace. (laughs) Like, they just go. We're (laughs) dipping. The police in this case. They were on my feathers. So on September 24th, 2009, two months after Josh went missing, police received a tip from an anonymous caller saying that a person named Tazuzu, not Pazuzu, uh, that a completely different person named yeah. Tazuzu had shot and buried a man in his backyard and police did nothing. Cool. Thanks. <laughs> Meanwhile, uh, Sylvia LeBeau, the preacher's daughter, she was in a car with some friends and she just casually mentioned that there was a rumor that Pazuzu had killed this guy named Josh. And the person in the car was like, holy fucking shit. She had known that there was rumors about Pazuzu killing somebody, but she had no idea who it was. When she said Josh, she instantly linked it with her friend's ex who was missing. She was friends with Stacy, small town bullshit. We solve yeah. our mysteries. So, yeah, she ended up linking the two together and was like, "You have to meet my friend Stacy." And in the interim of hooking them up and getting them to meet, um, they devised a plan of how they could possibly get some evidence on Pazuzu to take to the police because obviously the police weren't going to do anything until they had evidence. So this little preacher's daughter got all brave and went back over to Pazuzu's house, a place that she doesn't want to be. Well, no. And with her little 2009 cell phone, (laughs) did a uh, recording and, and was going to get it on recording of Pazuzu himself saying, yes, I murdered this person because everybody at the house was just ranting and raving. Yeah. His girlfriend, especially Amber was like, Oh hell yeah. I helped bury a body. You know, very proud of it. He's very, very proud of it. Well, they've created this little world where they feel free to talk about whatever I would imagine. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Like, like it said on the front of the door, they get to make up their own rules. the police, (laughs) by the way, PS. Um, but yeah, on the recording, she's joking like she's like trying to be cool she's like so ha 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 Pazuzu killed people and there's people on the recording saying yeah like absolutely of course he's killed people and yeah it's she tries to get it out of him but that's basically all she can get is like yeah duh of course he's killed people so when she goes to the police she shows them this and then she gives her side of the story but to police she's just one of them She's uh-huh. just another girl at the party. Yeah, who cares? And they really just, they don't take it. They don't take it into evidence. Oh, my God. They did absolutely nothing. So Sylvia went to meet Stacy, and she drove up to this big farm 
with horses. Stacy finally got her dream. She uh, she finally got to have that you know successful farm that she always wanted. And then she sees this young boy that is helping with the farm's chores. And she's kind of just watching this whole scene play out because it looks like heaven, right? There's yeah. there's horses, there's chickens, there's there's all these animals everywhere. Bright Yeah, the there's a little boy helping with chores and everything like that. And then she realizes, oh, that's a missing man's son. That's his son. Mm-hmm. That's his little boy. Yeah. That's who he was trying to make money for. Yeah. That's who he was trying to get to, and she realized how important this case really was. And so Sylvia sat down with Stacy and told her the whole thing. She doesn't know really who Stacy doesn't know who Pazuzu is. Um, so she goes to police and she tells police, "Look, I know you're going to think I'm crazy, but I think that my son's father is buried in the backyard of this guy's house." And the police were like, "Actually, we've heard this before." Yeah. <laughs> I don't think you're crazy for once once and for all, but I think that because she doesn't appear as someone who does drugs, right. I think they took her a little bit seriously. Which is stupid. But yeah. It's very stupid. Um, but yeah, after a, a week after Stacy had gone to them, um, this is February 23rd, 2010, so it's already been almost a year since his death, but she goes to the police and police go to Pazuzu's house. They execute a search warrant. They say they found nothing. Nothing. They say that they went into that house with rotten filth, smelling of rotten decay, and found nothing. They had cadaver dogs. Multiple. Like, I think four or five cadaver dogs. The bad stench could have confused the dogs, to be fair. To be fair, yes. Because, and and the thing that they said, because there is a pool, it wasn't in use at the time, but there is a pool. And so they said, well, the bags of kitty litter is for the 15 cats that are strays and peeing everywhere. And, you know, the giant things of bleach is for the pool. The pool. Mm-hmm. So those two together weren't suspicious then because they had cleaned up. And they had buried him in the backyard. But for some reason, they didn't notice the big lumps in the backyard. Because it's when you see the pictures, it's very it's obvious. So obvious. It's so like, obvious. Like, oh, well, that's obvious. a body-sized lump on the ground. It's so fucking obvious. And, like, in the documentary, one of the guys who frequented the house was even saying that one of one of the girls even pointed out was like, you notice how the backyard kind of looks lumpy? Yeah. There was, I mean, I, it's assumed that there was more than just the bodies that they found. Yeah. It was very lumpy. But yeah, uh, he had, Josh had been pretty much, uh, missing for about a year at this point. Yeah. And so his son, this whole time just thought that his father had abandoned him. So when Stacy found out that, no, it's more likely that he's murdered in this backyard, she had to sit her son down and say, look, I think, I think your dad is dead. I think he's been murdered. She uh, said that. Her son processed it at first. You could see the look of like sadness, of course, well, of course. but instantly it was, you know, overtaken with a, a sense of uh, kind of relief. Relief. That's what it was. It at wasn't. Least yeah. my dad didn't. Leave at least he me. didn't leave me on purpose. No. Yeah, and it's I think fucked. that's one of the saddest so parts sad. of the case. In May 2010, Pazuzu choked his mother, and she pressed charges but dropped them. So we do at least have a bookmark there. Um, in June of 2010, a man was found 
dead on the banks of the Yadkin River, close to where Pazuzu and his followers did their monthly moonlight rituals of bloodshed and all that stuff. The body was identified as a man named Joseph Emmerich Chandler. He was a 30-year-old legally blind black man whose mother, Sheila Chandler, described as a kind-hearted person, a person who met no strangers, a person who loved everyone, a very optimistic person, very good person. And he had just walked to a convenience store. And apparently... While at that convenience store, he ran into Pazuzu and one of Pazuzu's friends named Nicholas Rizzi. They had some sort of conversation. You could tell from the surveillance cameras that they were talking. It's unclear about what. But either way, they convinced him to get in their car. And they drove off with him. They took him down to the river. And Nicholas came up behind Joseph. And he pulled the trigger of his shotgun. But it was jammed. So he went back to his car and got a different gun. And while Joseph was lighting his cigarette, he came up behind him and shot him in the head. Fuck. And left him there. It's fucking disgusting. Yeah. It's fucking vile. And if the cops had fucking taken any of this seriously, that man would not be dead. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Um, October, October 2010, Pazuzu is arrested along with his accomplice and friend, Nicholas Rizzi, because it's kind of unspoken that Pazuzu was kind of, like, he was telling Rizzi what to do, basically. Yeah, obviously. That... Nicholas Rizzi was, yeah, 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 he was acting under him for the ritual. So, but it was because of the surveillance cameras that they found out who it was and everything like that. So in March of 2011, Nicholas Rizzi pled guilty to involuntary manslaughter, involuntary manslaughter, and was sentenced to 13 months. Oh, I can't. That. In prison. Yeah, if you were to looking at the, I I know that a a person's life is is really sacred and all of that stuff, but like looking at the baby pictures of this guy and him growing up and looking at his relationship with his mother, like this was a precious soul. This was a precious person, and they just ended it cruelly. Pazuzu was charged with accessory after the fact and was put under psychiatric evaluation to see if he was competent to stand trial. In this psych eval, <laughs> the state accidentally leaked it. So we have oh. the entire psych eval. The county clerk's office did a big oops. But yeah. That's a HIPAA violation if I ever saw one. Yeah, it, I leaked it. Um, they dug up all the times that he went to the, uh, to the hospital for mental health help from the age of 13 up all the times that he had gone to inpatient outpatient treatment for his schizotypal personality disorder and anxieties towards other people. That was all noted in there. It even stated in a psych eval that he had came in to like a question session, um, smelling of excrement and that he didn't shower that the psych eval also states that he practiced a quote-unquote Sumerian religion that he had made up and that only him and his girlfriends practice. 
my God. He repetitively asked to be discharged from one of his hospital stays during one episode because, quote-unquote, he was going through a five-year shamanistic journey during the Black Moon, quote-unquote. And he... Apparently, this moon was coming up and he had to get out. And even his mother said that if he doesn't get out of the hospital and perform his ritual, that he's going to die. I just can't. What's her first name again? Cynthia. Cynthia Listen. Cynthia. Sorry, my grants. No, it's, it's fine because <sighs> I'm not going to say anything and it's bad radio. I just, just stare. Girl, like, I just have a lot of problems with her and it's not even over with. Um, but Pazuzu. Algarod uh, pled guilty during the hearing on May 28th, 2010, and he ended up getting five months probation served at home. <laughs> I hate this so much. September uh, September 2011, Cynthia pressed charges again on Pazuzu, or actually on Pazuzu's girlfriend, oh. um, Bubbles, aka Amber, for hitting her. So now the abuse has escalated from... Pazuzu hurting his mother to Pazuzu's girlfriend harming his mother. Um, while Amber was in jail for the assault on Cynthia, Cynthia came to police with a story of how back in 2009, shortly after Josh's death, she had heard gunshots coming from her living room and walked in to find Amber holding a shotgun over a man's body. The man slumped over on the couch his name was Johnny or Tommy Dean Welsh. It's a completely different man. Oh no. Another person. Tommy Welsh Welch was a missing person at the time. He had gone missing on October 3rd, 2009. His family had filed a missing persons report after he didn't show up to family night. So, when you sacrifice people to the devil, do you have to pick the most wholesome people? Is that what it is? We're so sad and like it's so it's so messed up. So Tommy's sister-in-law said that she had hugged him earlier that day and said that they like had met up to decide what to do later that night. That she was going to put the kids to bed and they were all going to get some pizza, watch some movies, play some games, have family night. I want to have family night. And then he just didn't show up. That's so awful. He was never seen again, which was more unlike him because he loved his family. He was in constant contact with his family. His family said that he wasn't into drugs. He wasn't into partying. I don't know if this was another case where they had seen each other at the store or something like that, or maybe just walking down the street, but his family was the most important thing to him. He was not an intravenous user like the, like other people that frequented that house. So it's unsure why he was there. Either way, uh, police went to Pazuzu to ask him about this incident that his mother, Cynthia, had told them about. And Pazuzu said that he didn't know anything. So, bye-bye. And police left. Baffling and infuriating. Literally did nothing for years. For years. Years. <laughs> it's just, oh, just it really like, gets me. I just feel like there's some... Uh, I get that in cases where they can't arrest someone because they don't have evidence, but I feel like there's a profundance of evidence. Well, the thing that gets me is that this house was already condemnable by the time just they made... Just condemn it. Just condemn it. Go ahead and, and condemn it. Get, get the people out. Yes. Yes, because it's unlivable conditions. 
Like, it was clever it here. It was in 2009 when they did those search warrants. It was. They just, just didn't want to fight They just didn't it. want to. Um, no, it wasn't until 2014, five years later, that a series of tips, so all these years, people are calling in anonymously. And they're like, look, please, they're like, please get the people. bodies out of the fucking backyard. Like, please do your job. And the small town is constantly calling in. Police finally are led to a, another one of Pazuzu's fiancés. Um, they asked her about this and she spoke up and she said that she received a text message from Amber back in 2009 that read, I need your help. Come over right away. So she did. She was like, okay, my best friend needs me. I'm over. And when she showed up, Amber proudly stated with a huge smile, I did my first. Ugh. Her first, though, that implies that Pazuzu had talked about killing lots of people. And had worked her up. Yeah. And I think that he had also, because of this little cult religion that he has, you know, he got his friend Nicholas to shoot um, uh, Joseph. And then... Uh, and then made her, and you know, it's just like he's like he's teaching people how to do these things, and he's getting people to kill in the name of Satan, quote unquote. And it's just, uh, it's just a little game that he's playing. It's a manipulative little. It's like a game of chess, you know. It's yeah. really gross. Gross. I don't like it. And it, yeah, later forensics would prove that it was Tommy Dean that yeah. he had that she had killed. Amber made her friend dig a hole and lay him in it. When the girls were digging, her friend's sandal was getting, you know, it was getting fucked. It was hard to dig a hole in sandals, you know? So Amber was like, here, have my shoes. So she gave her shoes to her friend and instead she put on Tommy Dean's shoes. And she dug that man's grave while wearing that man's shoes, while singing a song over and over and over again, I'm wearing a dead man's shoes. I'm wearing a dead man's shoes. That's fucked, dude. Fucked up. Absolutely fucked up. Absolutely proud of herself. That's nauseating. Yes. So after that confession to police, uh, they acquired another search warrant, and this time they finally did their job. And the whole mess, because of the house, because of the extreme situation that was that house of horrors, it took them weeks on weeks on weeks to process process the crime scene because everything is part of the crime scene. Everything. Everything's contaminated and disgusting and Mm -hmm. buried Mm -hmm. in crap. The walls were literally so rotted from the shit and piss and puke that like the walls were rot like it was rotting through the walls and you'll see the pictures it's that old like 80s 90s wood grain paneling like do you know how hard you can't even like hammer a nail through that shit i know i've got it you know like it's hard as fuck their bodily fluids over the years melted through that wall that's how intense this thing is I'm sorry to get that graphic, but that's how that's how bad it was. Um, the police obviously condemned it on site. They got the people out of there. Pazuzu and Amber were immediately detained and arrested, and Cynthia just vanished. Poof. She was not arrested. She was not charged with anything. She literally just left and got her own place again. And in interviews, she's living in a very clean, nice house. She should be in prison. She should be in prison. Oh, 
Absolutely. 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 I'm just, I'm. Accessory at least. My blood boils thinking about the charges she doesn't have. Cruelty to animals. (laughs) Buying liquor for a minor. Mm Mm-hmm. Accessory to murder. Mm-hmm. Accessory Hi- before hiding, and after the fact. Hiding a body or whatever the legal term is for Accessory. that. Accessory. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Several counts of that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, fuck a bitch. Yep. Pretty awful. But yeah, the house was condemned, and after their complete search in 2015, it was bulldozed and leveled. And I believe it's still a lot today. I don't think anybody's going to build on top of it. Oh, no. It's mm-hmm. cursed. The first human remains they found at the house was that of Joshua Wetzler. He was buried next to Tommy Dean Welsh, and they were buried, like, feet from the back door. Literally feet from the back door. Because they lazy. Mm-hmm. Many people who knew Pazuzu speculate that there were obviously more bodies buried, but the police didn't unearth any others. And these were in, in fragments. Like they had to take these bodies back in bu- or in buckets because it was just well, bones at this point. Them. And they dismembered them. But yeah, it was just just bones at this point. And they didn't look. They should have dug up that entire backyard. Mm-hmm. And there's a pool. I don't even think they did anything with the pool. Could be under the pool. For exactly. All well, there was so much stuff in the pool, like like leaves and debris yeah. and shit. Are there I don't, people in the pool? I've wondered that. I've wondered that completely. Yeah. Um, but two for two years, they built the case against Amber Birch and Pazuzu Algarad. Amber took a plea deal and pled guilty to second-degree murder, armed robbery, and accessory to murder after the fact. Indictments alleged that Amber helped Pazuzu bury Josh Wetzel, uh, or Wetzler in July of 2009. She drove up from North Carolina to South Carolina, from South Carolina to North Carolina, after Pazuzu shot him. So she wasn't necessarily there at the time of the murder, but she came up afterwards. And she said that when she arrived, the body was in a mummified state. Because he had kept it, like, on kitty litter. and absorbed all the moisture, yeah. Um, It was also stated in court that... by the time she had gotten... Oh, sorry. <laughs> it had been more mummified. I was rereading that part. Um, and that when she shot and killed Tommy, Tommy Dean Welsh in October of 2009, <sighs> Cynthia saw it as well. Mm, Cynthia it. saw that. She, she saw Tommy. She saw Josh's murder. And she did absolutely nothing. No absolutely nothing and he was even talked about in court and they did nothing about it in court man whose pocket she lined or dick I she sucked to get out of all know, that probably a lot amber birch who was 27 at the time of the sentencing was sentenced to a total of 39 years in prison and was credited with time served now as far as pazuzu is concerned he was trying to commit suicide from the day he got arrested from yeah, the jump. He was trying so hard to commit suicide in any way, shape, or form. Um, like I said, he had filed down his teeth, right? Yeah. He, it was reported that he had been gnawing on himself oh, and that they yeah. had to use restraints and all of this stuff. They didn't have the facilities and the, the amount of people it took to deal with that. Uh, they had him, like, in a full, like body rig with like the the Hannibal Lecter mask and everything like that they had to transport him from one facility to the next because nobody could deal with him nobody yeah. could do it and 
October 28th. 2015 at 4:20 in the morning they found Pazuzu Algarod dead of self-inflicted wounds they searched his 8x10 cell and could not find a single murder weapon and for some reason they are just absolutely baffled at how he could have done it he chewed himself he chewed his fucking arm off or not arm off, but he chewed a wound in his arm and he that, bled and out. He bled out. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, that doesn't take a fucking Sherlock. No, because he had talked about this for years. He had confessed that this is what he had planned on doing. And he told everybody that this is what was going to happen. He loved the why, fact. Why would no one believe him when he was just straight telling the truth the whole time? I just don't get it. I don't get it. Girl. Believe people. Believe them when they say things. Girl. This is a rough case. And, you know, it just, it really, really just makes me angry at the system. It's one of those cases that uh, it just shows the broken system. Yeah. So at the end of the Devil You Know um, documentary, the Vice documentary, the the guy that is doing the narrating, the main guy that like does all of the research for the case and everything yeah. like that, he owns his own newspaper and, and does a lot of research on a lot of different cases, but he ends the the documentary with a quote and I'd like to quote him because I think he said it really well in a way that I couldn't have said it. He said, so what's the ending here? Oh, Pazuzu is dead. And he took Josh Weltzner, Tommy Dean Welsh and Joseph Chandler with him. At the end of the day, it was no big conspiracy, no demonic evil to blame, just broken people slipping through the cracks of a broken system in any town America, but that's our America. Those cracks are on our sidewalk, and it's our job to fix them. The dead are gone, but those of us who are still around, we've got work to do. Amen. And y'all, that's what I talk about when I say doing the little good. Yes. Ain't none of us, look, look if you're like me, I don't have any money. I don't even have a fucking car right now. Right. But I'm going to do the little good. In I got a mouth. Way. I, I got a mouth, and that's what we're doing. And hey, you may not be able to do that, but you can be really nice to somebody mm-hmm. you don't know what they go home to. Yeah. Absolutely. You may go home to a nice warm meal and nice clean house, and they may go home to hell. <laughs> so it's your... A duty on this earth to be just to spr- sprinkle a little niceness wherever you go. Do your best. Do your best. Do your best. That's all it's asked. Do your, your best. best. And I want that for our system. I want that for Why our government. I our want best? that for our, especially our health system. Listen, y'all, when we talk about police and people in government, we pay their fucking salary yes. out of our fucking taxes. Yes. We are their employers, yes. and they all need to be fired. Yes. The mass and gross incompetence mm-hmm. and the fucking corruption is out of control in every city, in every state, in every country. Because this ain't just America, too. The rest right. of y'all can look at your shit, and I bet right. you'll be going, yes, it's like that here, right. too. And it all revolves around one thing, and that is money and greed. Mm-hmm. So, Absolutely. you know, I don't know. One day we'll burn it all down, I suppose. But until then, do the little good. Make the little ripples. It helps. Mm-hmm. Hey, when somebody's nice to me and I'm having a hard time, it does really help. My goodness. Just yeah. a few simple, kind words. Yes. Literally changed my whole life. And, man, I just wish that... <laughs> I just wish that mental health was taken seriously in this country. I don't think that we would be having this podcast if that were the case. No, we'd be out of a job, and that's the goal. Yeah, I would love that. I would love for our podcast to run out of stories. Never will. So, 
I'm going to business time very briefly yeah, and just say, hey, our Patreon is a really fun place. We've created quite the fun little community there. Yeah. We do an extra episode a week. We share more photos there. Listen, we share as many photos as we can find on a case, mm-hmm. even if it's weird and I can only find three. Yep. I will share autopsy reports when I can find them and when they're available. Uh, we Videos, also have like notes. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have discussions. But hey, if all you can do to support this podcast is listen, we appreciate you. Please join our Discord. It's not behind a paywall. Yeah. It is in the link tree. Yeah. And we have fucking merch now. We have merch! Whoa, girl. I'm so excited. I'm sorry. Yeah, we have merch. <laughs> I'm so happy. We have t-shirts. Please, please. Sweatshirts. Y'all. And they're cute. Mm-hmm. They're cute. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and the link is in. Did you put it in the link tree yet? It will be in the link tree by the time this airs. Dang. I'll make sure. You do that. I do that. You do that. But yeah, uh, get you some merch. Get and you some look, merch. I priced... I. I went below the suggested price because we're not looking to make money off the merch. We're not expecting any money at all. That's we stupid. just want you guys to have some t-shirts. <laughs> just wanted you to have t-shirts. Or like a mug. Yeah. yeah, the mug is cute. Yeah. I really want yeah, it. I do too. I want a hoodie so bad. Can I just say something really sad, really quick? Yeah, I can't even afford a t-shirt. For I know. No, I know. I was like, I want, I want a hoodie and a t-shirt. I'm like, oh, well, we can hope. <laughs> we... It's either that or dinner. Yep. Yep. <laughs> so not for me. Um, but y'all should get one. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And yeah. Christmas is coming up, so if you have friends or family members that also listen to the podcast. Yeah. Definitely. Treat yourself. Treat yourself. Also, and maybe uh, get yourself a Patreon membership and a t-shirt. Be fun. Yeah. Yeah. And hey, for the next, y'all, for the next, I think, 48 hours, or at least 24 hours by the time you hear this, the t-shirts are on sale. Really? Yes. Cool. That's and neat. if you give them your like email address and like text message, yeah. you get an additional twenty percent off. So like you could get some, you get like five to ten bucks off. Get like a ten dollar t shirt. Dang, dang, get her done. Get it. Yeah, that's exciting. Get her done. I kind of want to kill myself yeah. now. That's fine. But yeah, uh, thank you guys. Our numbers. Uh, we're crazy last week, so lots of new listeners. Um, also, hi. <laughs> we're scared. Um, also, I've been a lot of uh, victims' families have been reaching out to mm-hmm. me and wanting to tell their stories in hopes that we will share it. We definitely will. If you want to contact me, the emails it's in there, isn't it? It's in the link tree. Yeah, cruelty.pod at gmail.com. Yes, please, and we thank you, and we'll talk. And we can store it better on Gmail. Instead of Messenger, because it's really hard to go back and scroll. Well, I also run my own small business, y'all, and I get those messages, my family messages, and then these messages, and eventually I'm sort of drowning in messages. Well, that, and we don't want to get you guys mixed up and and overlooked. confused. Yeah. So let's keep it... At the the email. At the email. It's really helpful that way. Mm -hmm. Um, But anyway, we love you guys, and we'll see you next time. Bye. Find us on your social media platform of choice. Linktree slash cruelty has all of the links. Check out our Patreon for exclusive episodes, merch, ad-free episodes, live ghost hunts, and much more. Please be sure to subscribe. New episodes are uploaded weekly. Thank you so much. See you next time. Music and production by Willie Beatles.